0: care about is telling Emily Rose's story. I want people to hear what only I can tell. And what is that? What really happened to Emily, and why.
1: In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and and the films that could end the world welcome to the don't go out there horror movie podcast welcome back everybody to the don't go out there horror movie review podcast just want to thank all our fans and listeners i really appreciate all support all of you are awesome we truly appreciate y'all uh this is you know we're almost to the end of 2022 and i just want to thank y'all y'all are awesome we truly appreciate the growing support uh we've been doing this over three years now and you know, Just thinking back, I was talking to a friend of the show, and I was like, man, time is flying by because he said he listened to our Texas Chainsaw 03 uh, episode, and I was like, damn, it's already been three years, brother, but I just want to thank all our fans. We really appreciate y'all. Before we get into tonight's film review, I just want to give a quick shout-out to our website, there.com. All of our episodes and interviews are on there from episode one to our weekly release. Check that out. Uh, we have all of our interviews. We've done some incredible interviews with some horror legends. Me and Brian are looking to secure some more interviews this weekend. Uh, so check out our website. Uh, we also have our store. You know we got some new t-shirts. Uh, we have Shan's Etsy page with our Tumblr, Rep Your Favorite Podcast. Uh, we would love to see your pictures. And we also want to shout out our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Like us, subscribe us, follow us, all that good stuff. Our, all of our social medias are growing. Well, we love interacting with our fans, and it means a lot to us that you're such big fans of the show. Uh, tonight, and I'm going to shout out one more thing on the website, sorry, Patreon. So we call Blood Donors. We have the traditional monthly recurring kind. Uh, you want to help support our show. None of that money goes into our pocket. It just goes directly back into the podcast. You know, it's not free to make a podcast, and we truly appreciate your help. Or if you're a big fan of a movie and you want to make a one-time donation, that tier is available as well. All right, now we're going to get into to the film review. Uh, tonight is Brother Mike's pick uh, in Overdue Month. Mike, now it's your pick, brother.
2: Yeah, so I know I'm kind of known as the guy on this show that doesn't really like any of this supernatural horror stuff, uh, especially with demons and exorcists and ghosts and all that. It's just not really something I find all that scary. Uh, but I went ahead and picked the movie anyway, one, out of spite, because I was bullied into changing my pick. But two... Because this is actually one along those lines that I really really like, and that is the exorcism of Emily Rose. Uh, I think partially I like it for the reasons I think a lot of people don't like it, and that is this movie doesn't. I I think the strengths of this movie are mostly the non-horror stuff. I like when it gets into the like I like when it gets into the horror stuff, but I, I think its strengths come from having a good narrative, a good story, a good courtroom drama even around something that's a little spooky. So the story it's trying to tell, I thought was really interesting and really engaging. And when it comes to the horror stuff, look, I know there's some there's some cornier things in here as far as, you know, the demon faces and stuff. But I think some of the everything you get with the, the character of Emily Rose is really, really great to me. I think the acting is fantastic. I think the exorcism sequence is one of the better exorcism sequences in all of horror. Uh, I, I don't really know how you could argue that. Uh, I think everyone involved does a great job. The, the the sets look good. It's shot in a, just a like a – not shaky. It's shot in like this really quick manner where you're always following Emily and she's kind of all over the place. And I just really, really like the exorcism in this movie. And I like the courtroom drama stuff. Uh, obviously, we're going to get into it. But I picked it because it's a movie that – I finally have a movie along these lines that I actually – truly enjoy outside the conjuring universe or the three conjuring movies of course so i went ahead and picked it it was finally time i've actually wanted to pick this movie since our like third episode just been kind of lingering and sitting around in my list and i finally say you know what because i've been bullied i'm gonna make these two people that hate demons watch a demon movie
1: so that's what i did (laughs) Uh, all right i'll go next real quick uh i like this movie i think it's really good honestly I will touch on the things I don't like at the end. Uh, mostly, this is the rewatchability. It's like not one I'm going to pick up and just t- turn on very often. But I do think it's a very good movie. Honestly, I think you know we said this in our 31. This uh, most recent time, I wish The Conjuring: The Devil Made Me Do It was more like this movie. Honestly, because I really didn't like it for what it was. Uh, cast is great, acting is great, uh, just not super rewatchable. And there are some things that really just. Don't work for me, but overall, I think this is a very good movie. I would, I agree, Mike. Uh, Brian, going to go next.
3: Yeah. So much like the pull back and forth during this movie, I was conflicted, you know, to say the least. This past week, doing this, you know, if you've listened to the show before, you know, I'm pretty terrified of, of demon and possession movies. So I've avoided this one like the plague. But I'll admit, I have this. I had the movie pegged wrong. Uh, my my first confession is that. I always thought that Emily Rose was a little girl, so the thought in my head of this movie was that I was about to, you know, be watching some little girl be possessed by a demon, a la The Exorcist again, but probably done more realistic since it's newer. Um, that's what I thought, so I dreaded this, you know. And man, was I wrong! I mean, this is this was not anything like I expected, and I'm I'm very glad I watched it. Like this was very interesting; it had me intrigued the whole time. You know, and my favorite part of this, and, you know, I've seen many people say it's almost makes it not seem connected because of it. But my favorite part is how it gives you these two viewpoints and lets you decide and does this without the one person who could testify to the truth. Emily Rose. And, you know, and personally, I'm not a fan of the Catholic Church. So showing the almost political side of that and them avoiding responsibility, you know, made this ultra realistic to me as well. Um, I I think, you know, Mike mentioned her, uh, Jennifer Carpenter, but especially Laura Lenny and Tom Wilkinson, I think absolutely killed their roles. Like, you know, I kind of I kind of liken this movie to Passion of the Christ, where the rewatchability, like Nico mentioned, isn't good at all. You know, I'm afraid. But like that, the realism and the way it was approached, I liked and I'm glad I watched it. It was nothing like I expected. Also, sidebar, suck it, Jonathan Creel. You were wrong.
0: Yeah, so uh, I've got a unique story and perspective with this fucking movie. Um, I worked at Regal Cinemas in 2005 when this movie was released, and I remember seeing it when it was in theaters. Um, it didn't really bother me. Um, as, as far as possession movies go, this one's very mild as far as the uh, the demon possession on screen and all that. Um The movie comes out on DVD, and I purchase it, and I'm going over to hang out with uh, friends from church, a bunch of us youths, we got together, we're watching it, and no big deal. Um, Take it home. The next day, I I walked this DVD into my uh, mom's bedroom, and um, some of our younger listeners may not know this, but you know, TVs didn't always be flat screens, so like you're, you are 27-inch that you had in your bedroom that thing used to be thicker than a white girl to drake concert I mean it had a back on it and uh, you could use the top of it as a shelf and so um, I took this DVD case and I set it up on top of that TV and Took a few steps to walk out of the room and I heard something I turned around that DVDs on the floor so right then and there I picked that DVD up and I, I gave it away and I vowed, fuck this movie, never watching it again, because I thought something was following me. Uh, not to mention the, the fact that, you know, there was the, uh, the whole waking up around 3 a.m. thing that happened to me for a while after watching this movie. And um, surely purely coincidental, but I just thought, you know what, I'm not going to mess with this movie. So rewatching it for this, this was my first time watching it since 2005. Um, I think it's a pretty okay movie. I think they could have made it a lot scarier than they, they they wanted to, but I don't think that was their intent. So they did a very good job of portraying a, a court drama, and I think that's what they wanted to do. Uh, the cast is awesome. You got Wendy Bird, you got fucking Juneau, and you got Deb from more uh, Deb from Dexter, um, who sidebars the worst character in television history. Um, but I, I think that they all do a, a great job, and. Um, the the acting is great it's just the issues that i have with it is i don't think that they exploited certain elements enough to make me enjoy it more like if uh and we'll get to in the scene by scene but i think that aaron could have been going through more uh persecution or, or more more trials than she was going through uh in her personal life i think father Moore could have had more hardships going happening to him um if they wanted to exploit that and it just would have been more effective you don't even have to show any nico and i talked about out there you don't have to show these like weird cgi faces in the crowd and stuff uh, didn't do anything for me but just subtle things um like the the key witness's death perfect more stuff kind of similar to that don't even have to be that extreme but um overall i think it's just a pretty pretty decent movie
2: yeah uh something brian kind of lightly touched on but i want to touch on you know a common complaint the movie gets is that doesn't give the character of Emily Rose a lot of character depth. I think that's intentional. Uh, I think they kind of want, you know, her character to be, I don't, for for lack of a better word, I guess a vessel for the story. Uh, Just kind of the story they're telling. I don't think Emily Rose really needs some big, like character backstory. Like she, you know, she grew up poor, small town, uh, obviously poor family goes to college they're super religious like that's really all we need to kind of get the gist of what the character is in my opinion um and i think they do a good enough job around her with strong characters like aaron like you know like father moore all that stuff i think they do a good enough job uh building the characters around her where we don't really need some big strong thing from her she is the point of the story but she's not the lead character of the story so that's i mean i I saw that on like a lot of YouTube videos, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of other things I've seen about this movie critically on Reddit and everything else. It's just that, that they wanted more from Jennifer Carpenter. I don't really know how much better of a performance you could give than the one Jennifer Carpenter gave. So that's, that's really, uh, I mean, I disagree with that stance is what I'm saying, I guess.
1: No, I agree. Um, any more final thoughts where you just jump into the scene by scene? I will say that this movie was kind of hard to take scene by scene on because it's pretty dialogue heavy. Like in the, in the courtroom, uh, I didn't want to write too much about like what the guy people were saying, but I kind of felt like you need to watch this movie because they make a lot of good points. And Chris Duckman made a really good point in his review of it. Like Brian mentioned as well, you get two pointed views and you get to pick who you agree with, honestly. And I like that. So yeah. uh, let's just jump into the scene by scene because I do have a lot. So let's just jump into it. The film starts with us hearing a woman scream. This film is based on a true story. We hear another woman yell, Emily. We see a barbed wire fence and title card. Opening credits as we see a medical examiner walk up to the Rose farm. He knocks on the door and walks from the door and sees the barn and cats walking away. He sees a big wasp nest and he sees Father Moore looking out the window. Miss Rose lets him inside as Mr. Rose sits with tears in his eyes clenching a doll. He goes upstairs as Father Moore leaves Emily's room. He goes in the room to see what's happened back downstairs he tells mr rose that death cannot be confirmed natural father looks at the barn and hears more screaming the police tell him he has to come with them father Moore is sworn by the press as the prosecution picks their lawyer ethan thomas we're with aaron brunner now as carl calls her over she gets nods of approval as carl asks if she's heard about the priest situation the archdiocese i believe is how you say i can't remember wants her to get him to reconsider and take a deal She's a rising star, he says, as they order drinks. She tells him she wants her name on the door by his. He agrees and tells her he is not to testify. She tells the bartender it's on his tab. She meets with Father Moore at the jail and he asks why they sent her. She says she's here to to make senior partner and says she's agnostic. He says he doesn't think she is the right attorney for him. She says he will need someone smart to rival Ethan Thomas. He says he doesn't care about his reputation, only about telling Emily Rose's story. She agrees to let him testify if he agrees to her doing whatever it takes to win. Aaron is at the Rose house and Miss Rose says she must feel strange here. Aaron says she grew up poor as she's told Emily wanted to be a teacher. Aaron comments on all the cats here. She asks if Emily was a happy girl. Flashback to Emily jumping up and down in her room with friends as she shows her mom she got a scholarship. It pays for everything. Her dream come true. Mom says she's going to go show her father. Ethan meets with Aaron as he brings up the judge wanting to offer a new plea agreement. She asks his personal opinion, and he says he represents the people. She calls him out on his beliefs, and he tells her the new deal. She tells him he's already said he wants no deal. He wants the public to know the truth. Ethan leaves, saying, we'll go to trial. We see Aaron at home doing research as she sits back on the couch to watch TV and drink wine. She's in bed, and her watch dies when it turns to 3 a.m. We're in court now as Ethan greets the jury and says Emily had a medical condition and needed medical help and blames Father Moore for betraying Emily. He says he represents a young girl who can't testify herself. He shows her picture before her death and her photo from the day she died. The jury is in shock. Aaron says she wants to reserve her opening statement. They called Dr. Edith Vogel to the stand. She took care of all of the Rose girls. She describes Emily growing up, and she tells the court of a phone call she received from Emily. She was hysterical, and she was alone that weekend. She awakened and thought she smelled something burning. She went and checked everything out. She hears a door open and slams shut and closes the door. She's back in her dorm and lies down. She hears a rattle noise as she sees her pen cup fall to the floor. She's terrified as her blanket now is pulled off her bed. She's pu- she's pulled down to her bed as she sinks into it. She grabs her throat and now her arms are pressed to her pillows. She's let go and she falls to the floor screaming and crying. And she runs outside in fear. All right, Brian, that's the opening set of scenes I got. What'd you think, brother?
3: Yeah, I think the beginning does a great job establishing what I think this entire movie does really good job of, and that's atmosphere. Um, I've said that it's it's very important to me in a horror movie, and throughout the atmosphere, it's heavy, it's dark, um, it's cold, and, and again, I liken it to Passion of the Christ, where it's just heavy on me the entire time, and it, and it really starts here. Um, something else we we've said before, but I'll call it out on this as well it's hard to really place the time period. And apparently that was on purpose, you know, according to director Scott Derrickson, who no stranger to this show or the genre, he was producer on sinister black phone directed deliver us from evil. Dr. Strange great director. Uh, but he said he wanted the movie to, to seem like it could be anywhere and, and timeless. And and I think they succeeded for the most part, for sure. And uh, Laura Lenny and Tom Wilkinson, my God, they are so good in this movie but especially watching them in this opening scene in the cell kind of go back and forth. It's just, it's amazing acting and, and feels real, which, which I know that's the, what Derrickson was going for, you know, and I've loved both of them for a long ass time as actors, like Der- like Dustin mentioned, you know, Lenny from Ozark and Wilkinson, since I saw him as Falcone and Batman begins, but I don't think it's, a, it's an exaggeration for me to say that those two in that cell And another part during this movie reminded me of the first time we meet Lecter and Clarice in Silence of the Lambs. I think Lenny and Wilkinson are heavyweights and and that's what I compare them to. I think they were that good. Um, Now, Mike touched on this, and this is where I had it in my notes about Jennifer Carpenter being amazing in this role. But Emily Rose's character not really being flushed out and, and being a little bit underdeveloped. Um, But I agree with Mike. I I think, you know, I didn't say it when he said it, but I I do agree with you. I think that that was a choice. I think it was on purpose. Um, And based on their approach with this movie and and everything about it, I I think that was it really, really works for me. Um, You know, I I love how everything is treated with speculation. And uh, you are basically in this jury as well. Um, A fun fact, you know, apparently even the jury was not given scripts, uh, so they weren't aware how the case would turn out. And uh, when they asked how they would find Father Moore, apparently the decision was split. So I know the filmmakers set out to do something different. Uh, I really love the uniqueness of this movie all around. Uh, I love the courtroom dramas, and, and and I believe also in real life, demonic possession. So I'm kind of the perfect candidate for this movie all around. Plus, sidebar, it, it is actually uncanny to me how much Campbell Scott and Ethan Thomas looks like my uncle in this movie. Um so that's kind of weird, which is also something as a jury member that could play in your decision without you even knowing about it. so anyway, I'm hooked at this point.
2: yeah, I'm 100 with you as far as like the mood and atmosphere this movie captures uh the the darker tones it takes with the camera it's the weather's always shit uh it's just, it's always bad weather, so you get that dark, gloomy feeling the entire film for the most part. I mean there's really not anything pretty to look at except for Laura Linney, by the way. Um anyway, hey, but as far as the scenery goes, it really isn't anything, you know, aesthetically pleasing. So you're in this same you're in this mindset when you watch this movie that this is about to be something pretty dark. Um, it's a very serious movie too. You know, sometimes these movies about possession and everything kind of get away from being a little, you know, back to basics when it comes to like the first one or even You know, Amityville Horror, where you kind of had like a family and it was you know really grounded. It's gotten a little fanatical over the years. I feel like this kind of brings it back, obviously, because it's based on a real court case. It's not. I mean, this thing didn't. You know, it. It's it's based on true story the same way that Remember the Titans is. Like, yeah, the story's there, but like we've taken some some Hollywood liberties, and that's totally you know that's totally fine. I I understand, but love this opening set of scenes because it really does hook me. And and the man you mentioned it, Laura Lenny and Tom Wilkinson are just great. Uh, once they're on screen together, I love the character of Aaron Burner. She is a just a. I was going to about to quote South Park and say strong woman, but she really is this like strong, independent character that that you know she's kind of a boss. She got a guilty guy off. I think that was pretty clear. Uh, so you know she's a great defense attorney and shows it. In this in this movie, uh, and her hey, look, the character of Ethan Thomas is imminently one or just, just it's just one of the least likable people we've covered, in my opinion. Like, and even though he comes across sometimes as the correct stance, he's such a prick about it, even in this opening set of scenes. Like, you have a hard time wanting him to be right, but Bec- like, like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, but then you're like, you don't have to be a dick about it, you know, <laughs> it's like one of those. Like, you're being such a condescending asshole, and, and I, I, I can't stand it. It, it. But that's acted so well. I love it. You mentioned Jennifer Carpenter. I've given her flowers enough. She's great, even in this little bit of here that we get, while the character's not fleshed out, uh, you know, she has, that, she has the right look for this character to me. And I really like, I, you know, she kind of, they make her out to be really sweet and really innocent and, and, and really devout in her faith. And her going off to college is a big deal. Uh, and some of the stuff we get with her there, you know, the contortion and all that stuff, it it's quite, or I think that stuff's done really well. Like, uh, you know, I, I know they ended up explaining some of it away, but I mean, I really, really do like this opening set of scenes because the acting is so damn strong. The jail cell scene I think is perfect. The courtroom stuff starts. And I like the judge. By the way, Mary, Mary Beth Hurd, who plays Judge Brewster, great job being the judge. Like she's like a side character, but I think she plays the part super well. So right away, I am hooked into the courtroom drama stuff, uh, and even the you know even the little you know the spooky stuff, for lack of a better term, I really really do like it um, so far.
0: Yeah, so um, I think we get a very creepy score to start off, which helps when you're uh, setting the tone. Um, I love everything about the lighting and the way that it looks like it just looks so gray and everything. Um, it just absolutely looks perfect for a horror movie. Uh, then we get, you know, the groundwork for the trial. I think it's well done. Um, and we get introduced to our cast, of course, which I mentioned. Father Moore being played by June Tao and uh, Aaron, Moore, Wendy, uh, Aaron being played by Wendy Bird. Uh, this is just a very solid cast from top to bottom. Uh then when we meet Emily and we get the flashback, I think they do a good job of not overexposing and not lingering too much on her backstory. Just kind of establish who she is, establish she's our person. This is her uh humble beginnings and let's, you know, get off to the races. I think that's well done. And uh I already mentioned, you know, Jennifer Carpenter, she's always gonna be Deb from Dexter to me, and so when I saw her in uh this I just instantly got angry. But um really cool shot though as she's sleeping, of the camera zooming in and then showing the watch stopping exactly 3 a.m. It's the only time it really did that. Like we see the clocks stopping at 3 a.m. the rest of the way or there's, uh, you know, it's alluded to, but this is the first time that we get a shot like this and I think it's really well done. And then, uh, you know, when she wakes up and they're telling a story, she starts smelling something burning. My first instinct is, I think we need to hold off on this devil stuff. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe she's just having a stroke. But uh, then we see the pin cup fall off and, you know, the bed start shaking or sucking her into the bed. Okay, never mind. There's no way around it. This is definitely a possession movie and I hate it. But um, all in all, though, I mean, it's it's a good set of scenes. I just wish, like, stuff like that, like the pin cup, um, you could have added more elements of that throughout, like happening to Aaron or Father Moore in his cell throughout that would have harped on that. But I think if you're just wanting it to, to be – in our mind as this is the story they're trying to tell and what we need to focus on is this is a court drama. And then uh, they, they laid all the groundwork perfectly. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty solid open.
1: All right, we're now with Dr. Mueller. He's a chairman of the department of neurology. He thought she was on hallucinogens, but her tests were negative. He now says he thought she was epileptic. We see Emily's body twitching and seizing. EEG revealed possible focus in left temporal lobe and prescribed her Gambutrol. She did not continue her follow-up visits due to her faith and advised by Father Moore. Dr. Mueller says his medical opinion is Father Moore's suggestion killed her. Aaron now interrogates him, asking of her other symptoms that aren't related to epilepsy. Back in the cell, and Father Moore tells her something important. There are forces surrounding this trial. Be careful, Aaron. She says he doesn't have to worry about her. She's agnostic. Demons exist whether you believe them or not, he tells her. She asks him more about Emily's condition, and he tells of her being sent to university hospital. Emily looks out the window and begins to cry and fall over when she sees the demonic face in the clouds. Excuse me. Her arms and legs twitch and seize. Aaron now talks to her friend Jason. Emily believes she, she became possessed that night at the hospital. It went from bad to worse. We see Emily walking to class in the rain. And she's in her class now. She looks at the window and she sees the same demonic face in the window fog and begins to cry. She now looks at her classmate whose eyes and mouth drip black liquid and she runs out the room. She sees the same face on others as she passes by them. She runs into the chapel and Jason Jason notices her yelling out for her. Emily sees the same faces on the two women praying. Jason goes into the church and sees her body contorting backwards. Emily yells at him in an unknown voice saying, don't touch me. She falls to the floor and cries out, Jason, please don't leave me. He tells Aaron he stayed until the end. She woke him to things he never knew he could feel. He was dead until he met her. She asks the bartender to turn up the TV when she sees James Van Hopper, her former client, has killed a young couple. Aaron is in the bathroom now washing up as a loud thud and a woman in all black storms out. Aaron is at home in bed now and it turns 3 a.m. She wakes up and checks her place out. She goes into the kitchen to look around. She sniffs, the sto- she sniffs the stove to see if her burner is on. The lights go out and the clock stops ticking. She gets a glass of water as she hears a door creak. She drops a- the glass on the floor and runs to shut her door and lock it. She's visibly shaken as she lies back down in bed. We're in the cell with Father Moore who hears a voice saying 1, two, three, four, five, six. He stands up and looks around. He sees a shadow move and begins to pray. All right, Brian, that's the next set of things I got. What'd you think, brother?
3: like at the end of last set of scenes you know you're thinking okay something supernatural is definitely happening um you know and we see it but now we have to wait to see if it can be proven of course but and i love this so much i mean now at the start of this set of scenes here we're shown a different explanation as to the events without the supernatural involvement And, and that's the point where i was like holy shit you know okay i'm the jury member you know we aren't being shown what truly happened, we're being shown events from two different points of views and two different perspectives. And I loved that. Um, you know, Lenny, again, is so damn good in this role. I mean, she was born to play a badass, which is obviously proven in Ozark as well. She's really one of my favorite actresses, I think, around right now. I mean, she does a great job choosing roles and just kind of kills it. I just wanted to throw that in there. I um, also want to give props to not only Derrickson, but the uh, cinematographer Tom Stern as well. You know, apparently Stern hung a, uh, a quote camera on a rope to get some odd angles, you know, and they called it the string cam. Well, fucking bravo, because that's one thing that stood out to me is like, there's some very interesting shots. I mean, shots of Emily contorting on the floor in the hospital and, you know, shit, that's another thing. Apparently Derrickson was, was prepared to use CG for a lot of those contortion shots, but Carpenter was so good with the way that she could contort her body that most of it wasn't needed. Uh, But the effects in this group of scenes on the faces, uh, you know, she's she's seeing, you know, even close up on her eyes, turning pitch black, Um, you know, just the entire scene in the church. I I thought it was really well done. I I didn't find the CG faces cheesy. I just I thought I was like, holy shit, like in in the scene at the church kind of freaked me out a little bit. Um, I also love the subplot that starts here with with Lenny seeing Van Hopper's crime on the TV and, and realizing, you know, struggling. With the fact that she's got a, a mur- she she got a murderer off and and cost those people their lives, you know, in effect and and you know really how that affects her with with Father Moore moving forward as well. I thought that was a very well subplot. And the last thing I'll say, and Dustin mentioned it too, but you know these three AM things are the only things that really creeped me out and. You know that creeped me out because of hell. I was on the edge every time because I said it before when we were watching Paranormal Activity and the, uh, even I think First Amityville Horror. I watch a demon movie and I'll be damned if I don't wake up at three to three thirty like every night for days after I watch the movies. Like, yep. I've, I've sent the guys pictures of this, so you know it did hit home a little bit for me and, and bother me a little bit with those scenes.
2: Man, you hit the nail on the head. I love that this movie makes us a member of this jury because it gives the initial version of events from Emily's perspective and, you know, how she told it, which was, you know, she started seeing these things and and faces changing and everything else, and we see it, but this movie isn't saying, hey, she's wrong. Here's the real version of events that are saying, hey, here's a logical, secular explanation for what Emily is seeing, a scientific one, if you will, Uh, and I think that does a good job With Doctor Mueller, but I also love I also love Aaron's cross examination because, like everything else in this movie, there really is no way to prove either side of this story to be completely one hundred percent accurate. I love that we get into that here; it's great. I you know all I meant by the faces look a little cheesy is because so much of this movie has been grounded in surrealism. And I almost wish they would have left the, like, weird faces out. But the scene at the church, I think, is great with the rain and, the you know, the way she's able to contort her body, uh, how those effects look and how, you know, like you mentioned, she didn't have to do a whole bunch. She was able to kind of twist her body in ways as part of the reason she got the role. Uh, it, it, it's great, man. Uh, every, like, the the visual of her eyes being black. Just love it. I think it's it's... Really, really well done. Um, You know, (laughs) Father Moore being kind of spooked out a little bit, I think is was an interesting way to do it because him being a man of God and, and, uh, you know, a priest and everything else, I found it interesting that even he was able to kind of, or that, that, yeah, that like the spirits or demons or whatever were allowed to be part of, you know, his story and, and how he saw them and, he had to fend them off a little bit. And I know I, I tend to agree with Dustin, even though it's not something that I'm like a big, you know, a big fan of, but they could have gone a little bit deeper into the quote unquote hauntings that, that Aaron and Dr. Moore were facing, uh, as a unit. Like, I feel like that could have been explored a little bit more, but I mean, I will say in this set of scenes, this is where, this is where Scott Campbell, Campbell, Scott, whatever. Cause saw it both ways. Uh, <laughs> I saw it both ways on the internet and I'm like, okay. I just know he's really great at playing an asshole. The like the way he's cross-examining people, the way he's kind of shouting down, kind of demeaning Laura Linney's character in a way, it's almost in a weird way, it's it's well not in a weird way, it's it's sexist, it's it's a lot of is that he does it. And he just he just comes right off the tongue, he's slick tongue. He plays such a good asshole, uh, that I can't believe I said those words in a sequence because out of context, him playing such a good asshole sounds a little funny. But anyway, um, really good set of scenes. The story continues to hook me.
3: I didn't didn't catch anything being sexist. I guess I didn't take it that way.
2: Subtext, of course. He demeans her. He talks down to her, thinks she's less than. I know it's more so because she's talking from a spiritual level and he's talking from a science level, but it is in there it's in the subtext
0: so one of the things in this set of scenes so i get that you know everything that's that they show us from her life is uh a story like we're we're getting it secondhand there but why the fuck was it so dark in that classroom like that's not i just had a real big problem with that no no teacher's going to be handing out tests or quizzes and it'd be you know could barely see your hand in front of your face, but anyway, um, when she she storms out, and she starts freaking out. Yeah, I would definitely be freaked out by seeing all those faces and the and the creepy demon looking things around me as well. But you can't just drop your purse and leave it. What do What the hell are you doing there, lady? But um, I agree though. I I don't like seeing the faces though because to me it kind of cheapened it. Everything else in this movie, like uh, you know, looked pretty realistic. Looked looked really good. And then just seeing those faces look kind of uh, extreme to me. But it's okay. It didn't totally detract me uh, or turn me off. Um, and then Jason being on the scene and seeing all this happen, boom, ace in the hole for the defense. Like, you got to have him testify. Now, I get that the, the issue in question is not the things that led up to her death. It's the night itself. But, like, him seeing all that seems like it would be – paramount to the to his to father's defense and they just like i don't think that they uh they exploited him enough but um that's okay we get more 3am shit don't like it one bit um and then something else that just, it's just a nitpick about movies in general that i noticed it here and man it just really bothers me so she's a very successful attorney right like we can all agree that she's probably got some money in the bank why the fuck is she sleeping in a full-size bed like i hate when movies do that. If you notice beds in movies, if it's a single person, they always s- sleep on the smallest bed. Like they never have a queen size or a king size. And that's just that's not realistic. That's stupid. Anyway, um It's very unnerving when she's in the kitchen and you hear that door open. Like they do a great job of building that suspense. But see, that's they like they, they just gave us a, a taste it's like there was a pie in the windowsill and we can smell it, like, oh, this is about to get good. And then they just abandon it. They throw the pie in the dumpster and we never even get to taste it. So those the things that I wish they would have expanded on a little bit more just to drive home, you know, the, the uneasy feeling of it, because as it is, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a good drama to watch, but you really, they, they do this emotional roller coaster with you where they ramp you up and get you feeling uneasy with the flashback scenes. And then for a large chunk of time, you don't have those feelings at all because you're just watching a court case unfold. And so I think they could have just elevated that, that scene in particular a little bit more to, uh, to make it mean more, but, um, you know, and it's not a bad set of scenes. It's just more, more drama, more building. Are back in court and Aaron is 17
1: minutes late and the judge scorns her. Dr. Briggs is on the stand now and says, Emily died from bodily function shutdown due to malnutrition. Her injuries were from epileptic seizures and some self-inflicted. We see Emily's night again from a medical standpoint. He says it's rarely fatal if treated early. Aaron interviews him now and asks about the term psychotic epileptic disorder being an actual condition. Doctor says he would have used shock treatment against her will to save her life. Absolutely. We see the jury's reactions. Court goes into recess until 9.30 a.m. Aaron apologized for being late to father and he says he couldn't sleep either. He tells her you're under attack. You're in a spiritual battle, Aaron. Aaron tells Ray we're getting creamed and we're going to lose. They're in the library doing research and not much good news for Aaron so far. She brings up an anthropologist who may assist their case. She says maybe we should validate the alternative. The archdiocese won't allow more priests in the court. Aaron has Ray track down the anthropologist. Aaron now gives her statement to the jury. She asks them to keep an open mind to their case. She wasn't epileptic or psychotic. Emily was under demonic possession. We see Emily take her medicine in the cafeteria as she begins to lose it, hearing the lunchroom noises. Jason is on the stand saying she was hungry, but the demons wouldn't let her eat. Jason tells the court of the ni- he tells the court of the night he walked her home and put her to bed, and he fell asleep. She wasn't beside him. He found her on the floor with her body contorted. Emily howls at Jason, and he calls her father. He takes her home and they put her in bed. Mr. Rose now tells his experience. He called the priest when nothing else would work. Alice went to check on Emily, and she sees Emily eating spiders and scratching the floor and walls. Emily screams at Alice scratching the walls as the men run upstairs and restrain her as she rips her hair out. Father asks Emily if she can hear him. She speaks in an unknown language, and her body seizes up. They stand her up, and she says, I am the one who dwells within. Think you can force me out, Father? Try, I dare you, as she falls to the ground. She smacks him. Father walks outside past the house and sees a girl playing piano. Ethan now interviews Mr. Rose. He asks about reading the Bible and the DSM. He asks him about medical conditions and about mental health in their family. Aaron calls Dr. Adani. She's asked about her background and she speaks on spiritual experiences in other cultures. She asks why she believed Emily was possessed. Ethan objects and says this is silliness. Judge calls both to her desk. The judge allows the exorcism expert, as she calls it, as she calls her, to speak. She says the medical treatment, specifically Gam- Gambitrol, blocked the exorcism from working. It locked Emily in a possessed state. Ray runs up to, to court, saying a doctor wants to testify he was an eyewitness. Aaron storms in, asking Father more about Dr. Cartwright. She's pissed he's not giving her all the information. He tells her the doctor requested to be left confidential. All right, Brian, that's the next set of scenes we got. what you think, brother?
3: There's a There's a real powerful scene here I think with with Aaron talking to her co-worker while they're working on defense I I think it was in the library but um you know and they talk about it not mattering what you believe and, and what you don't believe and you know they work on trying to prove possession in a court of law being a possibility you know that coupled with what she says later about this trial isn't about the facts that's what this whole thing is like we've got one side Fighting the move up the ranks, you know, in, in her job, the Catholic church backing away from the entire thing, not backing their own priest, you know, and a prosecutor with an agenda as well. I mean, this entire thing is, is this like versus this all politically motivated yet the, the person this is about, like I said in the opening, Emily Rose, a human being, you know, is dead And yet the afterthought of almost all of this, I mean, that's what I found so brilliant and honestly realistic about this movie and the writing. It's like the medical world. You know, you're you're a statistic in an afterthought. Um, You know, it it just really resonated with me is all. And and that's this is where it really, really started to the first time I watched it. Um, Jason waking up in her dorm. Which surely they doubled that set as the jail cell, right? Because, I mean, the walls look exactly the same. I mean, there's probably an analogy somewhere there about school and prison, I'm sure. But Emily being contorted on the floor whenever, whenever he looked up or woke up and looked at her looked fantastic, I thought. I mean, it's a standout scene for me. If I recall, this is, this is like the first use. Uh, of seeing that quote, silent scream from Carpenter, um, apparently being able to do that with with the with that look that she gives is what got Carpenter the role of Emily Rose immediately. Apparently, Scott Derrickson said, you know, he, he found it quote terrifying in her audition. And the last thing I'll say, Doctor uh, Adoni, uh, I cannot absolutely pronounce her her real name, um, first or last. And I'm not even going to try. But uh, I was wondering where I saw her before. X-Men 3 and, boom, Star Trek Beyond. Thanks for coming. Uh, okay. So, for me, this is where the movie
2: starts to just turn it up a little bit. So far, we've had, you know, a glimpse into the, the spooky stuff. And then we've had mostly courtroom drama. This is where we start to get into the, the you know, what what Emily was actually going through. Uh, but, you know, just on the courtroom stuff i I like that we cross examine the <laughs> this doctor who who swears up and down that that she was psychotic and had k- kind of made up a disease to you know make himself sound fancy and she calls him out It's great um anyway but <laughs> i I think that they do a good job just kind of it, every time the prosecution seems they have a nail in the coffin she finds a way to kind of you know wiggle it with the other end of the hammer a little bit and pull it up. I think that they do a great job with that balance of making sure you don't fall too far on one side of who's right and who's wrong of this thing. Uh, Love the bedroom stuff that we get because Jennifer Carpenter does a great job, not only with her facial expressions and her and the contorting of her body. You mentioned the silent scream. Her actual scream is terrifying. She can scream. And I know, it's funny, every time I watch this movie, I'm reminded this isn't the only movie that I've seen her scream in because she does the Tina the Talking Tummy bit in White Chicks, uh, and she screams there, and it, it's pretty – in that case, it's actually hilarious, and in this movie, it's it's not even close to that. Uh, I really like that. And you, know, you get back to this doctor uh, – sorry, i drawing a blank on the name here, but they – excuse me – uh, can't find the name. Oh, okay. Dr. Adani. I think you could have cut this part out. I don't think it served a great purpose. Now I know that, uh, I know that there's some real life inspiration on this character in the real, in the real case and stuff, but I feel like she didn't add anything. I kind of felt like she weakened the defense's case. If anything, uh, because you know that's not exactly eyewitness testimony. Now, to be fair, she has a doctorate from this place and that place and everywhere you know, Harvard and and Cambridge and all this other stuff. And so, who am I to discredit her? But I just thought, from a movie plot standpoint, uh, it just didn't work for me. Like I kind of felt like, while Mister Jackass of the prosecution didn't have to be so harsh on her, I felt like you know this isn't like the most credible person here that they kind of grabbed her out of nowhere and decided to use her as a witness. So I I, I, I guess I felt like it kind of weakened their case, you know, a little bit. The smoking gun that we get is Dr. Cartwright, who we haven't met yet, but like, I I like, <laughs> I like the fact that we kind of go back to him after seeing him so early in the movie, Uh, you know, how, how he was there the whole time. So uh, all in all really good set of scenes. Again, you know, hooking me with the story, you know, there's not so much over the top stuff, you know, there's not like, you know, like the Amityville movie where everything's flying off the shelves and chairs are crashing into windows and, and those people walking backwards, but you get some really good drama added on to some really good horror elements with the character of Emily Rose in her possession.
0: yeah so this set of scenes was difficult for me to take notes on though because it was just a lot of uh you know courtroom drama st- story uh, storytelling and i didn't want to just regurgitate yeah you know they did this they did that but um i did like the introduction of the doctor a little bit because it I, I don't think it uh hurt her case i think it strengthened her case like trying to get the uh the jury to at least see that hey this is someone's completely unbiased and she's built her career off of this kind of thing so what he's saying is not outlandish it's not unplausible um uh, you know and then i came away from this set of scenes thinking man i need to get me some of that gambutrol that shit looks like adderall on steroids and you take that you can hear your hair grow that was wild but um obviously it's a fictional drug though i looked it up um and then when she's speaking in latin uh to uh father tom there. And then she just like snaps out of it I mean, she went head first into the ground. That's some, you got to be careful with that girl. You can get some CTE, which lucky for her, she didn't have to live with it. Um, She kind of met her demise shortly after, but um, overall, I mean, it's just, it's a strong set of scenes from a, from a building standpoint, but um, yeah, I mean, I just, I didn't have much else to take notes on. (laughs) You're hilarious, Dustin. (laughs) What I do. (laughs) (laughs)
1: nothing man (laughs) our Aaron meets with Dr. Cartwright now and he says she's much prettier in real life my man's shooting a shot right off the rip he says you're losing I had hoped father Moore wouldn't need me but I don't want to see him put away he describes how they met he wanted a medical expert to observe Emily's State during the exorcism birds fly in front of them and Dr. Cartwright is obviously bothered he says she was not schizophrenic nor epileptic doctor is now terrified from that night and he prays again He says she was lucid and aware of what was inside her. Crazy people don't know they're crazy. He asks for the case files and when to appear in court. He hands her a tape recording. She asks if Father Moore asks for medical help. Back in the cell and she tells him Cartwright will testify. He doesn't seem to care and asks when can he testify. What matters most is Emily's story only, which I can tell. He asks her again about dark forces and she tells her the day Briggs testified. She felt bad and went on a walk. What if demons do exist? She found a locket with the initials ECB. What are the odds I'd find that locket? She says maybe it was a sign, but it made me feel like I was exactly where I should be. He asks if she's wearing the locket. She says no, and he says she should. She tells him they don't want him to testify. She believes he needs to walk out a free man, and she believes he'll be received as credible to the jury. She wakes up again hearing screaming, and she realizes the tape from Dr. Cartwright is playing, and she shuts it off. Father Moore is on the stand now and tells of when he received authorization to perform the exorcism. We see his experience. He woke up freezing at 3 a.m., the demonic witching hour. Aaron looks spooked. He says he thought he smelled burning. He goes downstairs to investigate. He sees the black liquid dripping from the windows and on the pictures. He runs downstairs and outside into the rain. He falls to his knees and sees a black cloaked figure walking towards him. Ethan interrogates now and Father Moore suggests seeing the figure was like a game on message. He believes it was there to excite his fear. It scared the hell out of him. He's seen the figure ever since that night. Aaron redirects and Father reveals the exorcism happened on Halloween. Aaron presents a tape from the night of the exorcism. The judge allows it into evidence. Father plays a tape. This is the exorcism of Emily Rose. Father lays out some ground rules as Emily begins to chuckle. They restrain her as her breathing elevates. He throws holy water on her and she leans forward. They begin to pray as Alice notices the cross turned upside down. They pray and Emily breaks the restraint and she punches the, her father. She shouts and father asks the demons its name. I am the one who dwells within. One, two, three, four, five, six. As we see six cats in the room who attack the father. Emily gets free and jumps out the window. They chase after her into the barn. Her dad says she feels so hot and they hold her down on the straw. Emily howls and the horses react, and father calls for a doctor to check her vital signs. The doors fly open, and doctor says her heart is racing. A snake attacks the father, and he presses a crucifix to her neck. She falls over and shakes violently. She chokes the doctor, and father asks its name again. She yells out names one, two, three, four, five, six, and he asks its six names. All right, Lord, protect me from after saying this. <laughs> I am Belial. I am Lucifer, the devil in the flesh. A horse gets free, knocking the dad over. Father Moore must stop to help him when the doctor freezes up. All right, Brian, that's the next set of scenes I got. What'd you think?
3: Oh, did you stop? I totally pulled my headphones off and I could try to plug my ears during that part. Um So to me, this is where the movie begins to run a little long in the tooth for me, you know i'm I'm happy how the movie's progressing. I'm still hooked. I'm 100 percent in. But to look at how much time is left at this point and see that it's only halfway done, I was admittedly a little disheartening. Um, by the way, Dr. Cartwright looks like the neighbor that shovels snow from Home Alone. Uh, just throwing that out there. Maybe this is where he went after he made up his relationship with his son. I don't know. Home Alone 2, maybe. Um, uh, no, they already made that movie. I guess it was... Whatever. It should be just where he went during our home alone, too. Uh, I wanted to point out that the great camera work uh, from the, uh, quote, camera on a string or what it was, a string cam uh, during this 3 a.m. scene with Father Marin. I mean, Father Moore, uh, you know, once you know this was a camera on a string, you can see it easily. But even knowing that it was still very effective, I felt. Um, and, and this, you know, Mike brought it up at the beginning. This exorcism scene was, wow. I mean, it was amazingly shot, amazing acting, amazing writing, um, having it overflow into the barn. So many sub, so much subtext there, you know, with, with Jesus and being born in the barn. And I was just, I was just sitting on the edge of my seat the entire time. Now I admit that I've only seen a few on purpose, but, this is the best exorcism scene that I've ever seen on film, including any from Mr. William Peter Blatty.
2: Yeah, and to me, that's kind of the star of the set of scenes here. Everything else, with, you know, with Dr. Cartwright and everything, that's good to the story, and, it, you know, it adds a little bit of depth. But you're right, you look up, and you've got 57 <laughs> minutes left. You're like, why? What? What? What's left to say? Uh, so I will say that's a small nitpick, as you would expect for me to complain about how long a movie goes. Um, by the way, I forgot this movie was two hours when I picked it. I Had I looked that up, Brian, you may have gotten out of this. But uh, <laughs> anyway, this exorcism scene is just fantastic from start to finish. I think it's perfect. Jennifer Carpenter does a great job from kind of being this, this, uh, you know, a sleep version of Emily where, She's still Emily Rose, but you know the lights are on, but no one's home. And then with the just like the snap of the fingers, she's she's you know filled with six demons, and and it's just it's just like that. And I love that the the way that happens. And I think you know the the, the shouting and the and the ever you know hit, hit, hitting her dad and and you know hitting Father Moore and everything that you know from jumping out of the bed, out of the window, into the barn. It's so intense you feel bad for her family on the couch there that's just sitting and waiting it has to be absolutely excruciating and terrifying. And the, everything in the barn with the horses and the way it's shot, the, the rain, the thunder, the you know, the sound effects from the animals, it's all just so good. And you know, using the cross to kind of burn the skin and the the screaming and the acting from Jennifer Carpenter here, as she reveals who she is or who these demons are, it's just unreal to me how well done this is. And I liked it. We get, you know, we get Father Moore on the stand, and he's finally able to have people listen to Emily's voice and story and the different voices. I love it. It's probably it's my favorite part of the movie. There's no probably about it. I I'm a really really big fan. Of this this exorcism scene and i agree with you brian i think it's the best one that i've ever seen personally uh now obviously you get the famous one from the first exorcism movie but or the first exorcist movie but i you know we reviewed that movie and i kind of wasn't the biggest fan of it i know it's a classic to a lot of people but that's just not my your mother sucks what, dicks
0: in hell Yeah, I like
2: that. (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying that's iconic, no doubt. But the most realistic one that I could be like, I could see this shit happening for real is this movie. And so I'm with you with the, you might have sucks cocks in hell. Like, all that's great. But, like, (laughs) this this is not played, or I'm sure that one wasn't played for laughs when it was made. But when we watched it, obviously, I got a kick out of it because, you know, it's a cheesy 80s movie to me at this point. Sorry, just... Kind of the way it's viewed through a, a a modern lens, but this one is not that. I think they do a great job of portraying what an exorcism could look like.
0: Yeah, so um so in this set of scenes when you know when we meet Dr. Cartwright, it's like, man, his testimony is gonna be clutch, too clutch. Makes you really suspicious. Like he's not gonna make it. And so I said I, the I,
2: same thing, like mm, yeah ain't making yeah, it, bro.
0: I kind of wish that uh they would have given us him a little bit differently. Like, don't make it like, ooh, th- they need him. Just make it like someone that could help. But um, that's okay. And then we get more 3 a.m. stuff, and now he's smelling something burning. So now I think we're dismissing the stroke possibility too easily. But um, Father Moore walking down the, the hall with the, the beer goggles on, man, I've had many nights like that. That's exactly what that looked like. It looked like that brother was drunk off his ass stumbling down the hall looking for the bathroom. But um, when the windows start bleeding though yeah, I'm out. Um, I thought they did a good job. that see that's what i I like I like I like the uh, but again, that's part of the storytelling like they're just telling us what happened that night instead of it being you know something that's happening to him in real time in his his jail cell or something. but um, I think that the the way you feel when you're watching that, like that's freaky, unnerving. I think they was shot really well, so uh, I, w- I wanted more of that in this movie. Um, but when we get to the exorcism, I agree. It's done really well, but they really think those puny little ties around the wrist were going to hold a demon. Like, uh, that was a little bit of a pathetic effort there. But, um, you know, she, she obviously snaps out of that and then hops her ass out the window. That was pretty impressive right there. But, um, you know, rats, roaches, snakes, spiders, his barn's got it all. I'm probably not going to stick around. Like, if I'm Jason, you know, uh, t- i'm praying for you but uh i'm gonna go home this just ain't my scene i didn't like this one bit this 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 exorcism was creepy as hell like from the the voices to her uh you know sound like she was talking multiple times at once i thought that was really well done the shit she was saying um the look in her eyes like i think jennifer carpenter was barely on the screen in this movie but i think her acting in this set of scenes alone just like was the star of the show. like She really portrayed the hell out of that exorcism, no pun intended. But um, overall, this was a really good and uh, effective set of scenes.
3: Mike, did uh, you call The Exorcist a cheesy 80s movie? And it was made in 1973.
0: I'm aware of
2: that, but the, it's <laughs> still a, it still ages like one. Look, I gave it credit for being a classic, but you're not going to bully me into liking that movie. You can't do it
0: all right back to the court already got,
2: i've already been bullied into changing my pick for this episode so i don't want to hear that
0: man wanted to pick a movie that's been out of the theater for three weeks for an overdue month. overdue to me to me not you to me
2: your mother sucks cocks in hell how about that
0: my mother's alive i want you to cut that brian don't speak about my mother that way that's fair fair point <laughs>
1: All right, back to the court, and Father says the whole thing was a complete failure. He says she was violent to everyone and violent to herself. He wanted to attempt another exorcism, but Emily refused. He encouraged her to eat and continue medical treatment. He did recommend her to stop Gambitrol. We both thought she was beyond medical care, and she'd, be, and she'd see her way through on faith alone. She asked if he's tampered with the tape. Ethan interviews him now about the tape. Ethan asked about her teachings in school about the foreign languages. He now brings up dual vocal cords. Father says her state wasn't psychotic. Ethan now asks, where is the dark figure? Am I your demon ghost? Ray walks back in and tells her the doctor can't be found. Aaron asks for a recess. Judge says they've absorbed extraordinary testimony and will adjourn until 9.30 tomorrow. Aaron walks and sees him randomly in a parking lot. He says to tell Father more. He's sorry and admires his courage. He looks terrified as he backs away in his run over. Carl walks up to Aaron and she tells him Cartwright is dead. He shows her the newspaper. He's pissed he get, he got to testify. She tears up and Carl says they're screwed. She's told she'll be fired if the priest goes back on the stand. Back to the cell and she tells father that Dr. Cartwright is dead. She says we've lost. Without his testimony, he says, let me back on the stand to tell Emily's story. He tells Aaron, you thought you were on the right path. Don't stray. He gives her a note and says to read it and make your judgment. I saw your eyes when I explained 3 a.m. significance. It won't stop until Emily's story is told. She reads the note and walks to court and is harassed by the press. She has on her locket and looks back at Carl. She calls Father Moore to the stand as Carl storms out. She asks him, when's the last night he saw Emily alive? Emily wanted the father to have this letter she wrote the day after her failed exorcism. He says one day Emily will be recognized as a saint. He now reads her letter. She speaks on the demons refusing to go. I fell into a deep sleep. I awoke a few hours later to a voice calling my name. We see Emily walk outside into a foggy field. We see her lie down under the tree. We see her spirit looking at her body. She heard her voice called by the blessed holy mother of God. The voice said heaven is not blind to her pain. Mother says to her, I am sorry. Emily, the demons are going to stay where they are. You can come with me in peace or choose to continue this and you will suffer greatly. But through you, many will come to see the realm of the spirit is real. The choice is yours. I choose to stay, she says, as we see her crawling backwards to her body. Emily stands up and we see blood on both palms. Good will conquer evil through my experience. How can they think good is dead if I show them the devil? Father says the wounds were stigmata. Father says she accepted her fate and Aaron whispers if he'd like to say anything else about Emily. And the defense rest. And the next set of scenes the ending. Go ahead, Brian.
3: Um. Yeah, I, I think this does a a good job of trying to counteract what we just saw in that last set of scenes, you know, with the, with the whole exorcism thing. Um, and I think it does a very good job of of progressively showing the effects that this whole case is having on Aaron, you know, and you know it, they do that in yet another tremendous scene between Father Moore and Aaron in that cell. Um, it's also a no brainer on why these images, you know, that that were used while Father Moore reads the letter. Um, those images were used for all the campaigns on the trailers for this movie. And, and like I said, it's a no brainer. Why? Because these images of Emily walking in the fog are, are beautiful. They're amazing. Uh, they convey every emotion that you're supposed to be feeling right then. And, you know, and, and with her own words kind of serving as the audio, I thought it was fucking beautifully done. Um, And that's really about half of this set of scenes. Um, Like I mentioned, you know, the last set, I, I'm ready to get to the conclusion, you know, but. But with that said, on my first watch through, and I say that my first watch through, I was still on the edge of my seat waiting to kind of see what would in fact be how this wraps up. But, you know, again, with that rewatchability on the second watch through I had, it was kind of like, oh my God, come on, let's let's get to it.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the story of this set of scenes is just how, how the cool visuals that we get with Emily kind of in that fog and... And everything, and you know, reading the letter that she wrote is such a big part of the narrative. You know, he, you know Father Moore has talked about this entire time how he needed to tell Emily's story in her words. Plays the tape. I'm glad that they decided to put him back on the stand. Here's the letter. We, we'll, you know, we get to kind of hear what Emily actually thought was going on. You know, meeting with, you know, Mary, and you know, hearing what she had to say and all of that. And just uh, Jennifer Carpenter's ability to play this demonically possessed character on the flip side, being able to pull off a very sweet, innocent looking character when she's not possessed, I think is, is a, is a chef's kiss to her acting. I just think she's great, but I, I, the visuals stand out so much here, the fog on the ground being outside and, and how she's having like an out of body experience here which if you're someone who's on the prosecution side, you can explain away. It's just being delusions in her head. She's having this quote unquote out of body experience. Maybe it's the gambit too, too, mixed with her illness. You just, you know, there's no real way to prove that it's possession, no real way to prove that it's not. And so I think that again, gets back to the crux of the story, which is there's no way to say for certain exactly what's going on here. Uh, and, I'm like you though, Brian. Once we get that, I'm ready to wrap this up. I'm ready to see the end of the trial and how the cross examination goes and how we end this thing. So not as much here as as I have on the other set of scenes, but this is a good scene as far as Emily. You know her. You know the you know the stigmata wounds and everything else. Like I think that that is the reason. The reason there's a reason it was used for all the imagery, like you said
0: yeah man uh ethan thomas what a dick like this is <laughs> you've been saying it all show but this set of scenes i'm like fed he's, up with this guy he's a he's a prick man
2: he does a great job playing a prick he yeah. really
0: does like he's just badgering every person on the stand every chance possible pushing his limits like the judge has warned him a couple times he's like i don't give a fuck i'm gonna say it anyway so uh and then of course boom Cartwright gets hit by a car but i do like that like i i I like that. That shows that, um, you know, honestly for, for Aaron's character, it plants the seeds of realism in her head even more like, Oh shit, this is really happening. Like this is, this is legit. Uh, I've got key witnesses dying. Um, Weird things are happening in my life. Like I I like that. She's starting to be afflicted by this. And she saw that happen um, right in front of her. But, uh, and then one of the things that stood out to me is that she's, unwinding with a glass of johnny walker black that's a cheap ass scotch for a rich attorney to be drinking like i'm severely disappointed in that scotch choice
2: i like johnny walker red oh so god good.
0: what is wrong with you red Why tastes not? like red tastes like an ashtray brother or we we'll have to disagree
2: pal on the uh, rocks real cold yeah let's go
0: i get it i mean i get it. it's like twenty dollars a bottle but uh johnny walker black's Not much better. It's like $30 a bottle, and it is ass. But anyway, um, that's okay. Then we get the shot from the movie poster, and it's iconic to me, honestly. Like, her walking to the tree in the fog, and we get this little, like, out-of-body experience with her. She gets to make her decision, and uh, I think that was a really well-done scene. And uh, honestly, it's creepy as hell. And the stigmata added to it. Like, that's that's fantastically done as far as... um, you know, when you're telling that story and wanting it to be believable that she's going through this. like uh, Okay, she had those wounds then boom. How did she, how did she get them? Um, but I, I think that. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I don't have much more on this set of scenes because I, I think that uh, I'm just ready to go home at this point. I think we've we've kind of sh- we didn't need a two hour movie is how I'm feeling at this point.
1: All right, here's the ending. Ethan's turn. He says, those those wounds were from the barbed wire fences. Father Moore's stance is based on archaic and irrational superstition. Facts are what must matter. He says, Father failed to have her hospitalized when she needed medical treatment. Aaron pauses and calls out Ethan as a man of faith. She makes her closing statement. God and the devil, angels and demons. They either exist or they don't. She says she can't deny it's possible this was an act of the devil. She says this is a case of possibilities. She asked, did Father Moore indeed neglect Emily to the, ca- to the cause of her death? Facts leave no room for possibilities. Father Moore loved Emily with his whole heart and risked his freedom so we could hear her story. Sometimes I have to defend bad men. Father Moore is not one of them. Verdict time. The judge reads it and the jury announces they find him guilty of negligent homicide. Aaron reminds the judge he requested for immediate sentencing. Judge talks to Father Moore about what his sentence could be and the jury makes a recommendation on the sentence. Ethan tries to object, and the judge shoots him down. They suggest a sentence of, time served. The judge accepts, you are guilty, Father Moore, and you are free to go. Aaron and Father Moore hug and shop. Ethan walks away in disgust. Back at the bar, and Carl tells her they see this as a victory, and the archdiocese is pleased. Carl admits he's wrong and offers a full partnership in the firm. She tells him to keep it and walks away. Aaron and Father Moore at Emily Rose's grave as she asks if he will return to his parish. He says he can't go back now. He asks about her. I believe you've seen the darkness too. She doesn't know what she's seen. She asks about the epitaph. It's the verse Emily recited the night before she died. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We see Aaron labeling the case files and she turns her light off. She lies down in bed and turns the clock face back to her staring at it. Then she closes her eyes. Text on screen says, As Emily predicted, her story has affected many people. Emily's gravesite has become an unofficial holy shrine, which continues to draw visitors from all over the world. After the trial, Father Moore went into seclusion, refusing to appeal his guilty conviction, and stating this is a matter for God. Worldly courts cannot pass any judgment on it. Aaron Bruner shared her case files with an expert in medical research and anthropology, whose further research and published work about the life and death of Emily Rose inspire this film and that's the end of the movie brian what'd you think
3: that's good man uh you know like we've discussed you know there's a few different ways you could have gone with this ending you know obviously it could have been proven one way or the other def you know definitively you know we could have had this prosecutor even tap into his own christian faith uh they told us about you know back off and throw the case but they chose to go this route and, and i liked it a lot i really respected it you know, despite what's real, what's not real, you know, what you believe and, and don't believe, you know, we got a we got a great character arc with Aaron, uh, a, a realistic one, you know, not one where she goes from like non-believer to believer at the end of the movie. But, you know, some doubt has been placed in her, and, you know, and, you know, she she made the choice to put the father back on the stand, knowing and being threatened by her boss and totally, you know, doing a 180 from from the Aaron we saw at the beginning of the movie, you know, and despite what I believed before I watched this, you know, this movie wasn't about being supernatural or not. You know, it's it's about the court case. Yeah. But, uh, you know, on the deeper side and the deeper meaning, it's about this just journey that we take with Aaron, you know, but also about what what Father Moore said at the end here, you know, facing darkness or mortality in general and, and about how, how you live with, with that, or, or the choices that you make. You know, I thought it was a, I thought it was a great ending to to a rather good movie.
2: Yeah, I actually really like the ending. I've seen some some you know reviews that say it, it doesn't really conclude anything. I think it does. It concludes the fact that you pick what side you fall on here. Uh, look, I think the verdict and the sentencing was perfect because legally. Father Moore would be responsible for the death of Emily Rose. I think that case would, if it happened, out, if it played out in real life, just like that, I think it would happen the exact same way. Uh, But I, you know, the sentence of time served, I think is also fair because I don't think there was any intent to harm. I don't think there was any intent to commit any kind of manslaughter. I think, you know, at the family's wishes, he did his best to try to save Emily. And I think, those two things can coexist at the same time. I love that the movie tells that story. I think it was a perfect choice. I think we leave the character of Aaron with some doubt of what she actually believes in now and what she doesn't believe in now. But I don't think that's even all that important. I think what's important is the the fact that you choose, you decide what side you come down on. And I, I really like that this, the the movie had that message all the way throughout. So I don't think the ending's flat. I think it works really really well at least for the story they were trying to tell
0: i kind of agree uh i think the uh guilty verdict was a little bit of a swerve because i think especially leading up to right here i think we did we got the feeling that okay surely they're gonna side with him because she's done such a good job building this case and ethan thomas such a dick that uh you know they can't let him win but i think that was that was well done and then we get an even bigger curveball, the jury getting to suggest time serve and the judge being like, yeah, OK, which I thought it was funny because Ethan right up till the very end, he tried to be a dick right there. He's like, I object. It's like the court. The case is over, but shut the fuck up. Go home. Be a family man. But um, I, I think it is a pretty good movie. It's just I would have, you know, from a, from a drama standpoint. Yeah. OK, this this ending absolutely works. But um, from a horror standpoint, I just think that the whole thing, the thing in in general, just left me wanting wanting to be uh, spooked a little bit more, I guess. But for what it was, it was okay. All right, guys, let's knock out our social media comments and questions. Uh,
1: Let's jump over to Facebook first. We only have one comment. Uh, Jared Summers, uh, hope to see you this weekend, brother. Going out to put myself through this one again. only seen it once, but it took me two days to finish it. Incredibly unsettling movie. I think on a rewatch, you'll be okay, brother. Uh, let's remember over to Twitter now. Kevin Scanlon, a teammate of the show, commented, Good movie. Definitely not one I can watch all the time, but it's solid all around. This was also the first thing I ever saw Jennifer Carpenter in, and I've been a big fan of hers ever since. First thing I ever saw in was White Chicks, personally. <laughs> and Sean Irwin commented, All right. Got to watch this one. Hopefully better than Pray for the Devil. I haven't seen Pray for the Devil. Y'all seen that one yet? No. Uh, I can't give you any uh, feedback on that, brother. All right, uh, let's go over to Instagram now. 13 Leon Seven commented, best exorcism movie to date. Uh, I'll, I don't know. It depends on how I feel about the, if you consider conjuring movies, kind of exorcism movies. Uh, I like this better yeah. than The Exorcist for sure. It's Just not as painful to get through. All right, Chris underscore 2020 commented, demon possession and exorcism movies never really scare me or pique my interest. But if this one is as good is as good as I hear and y'all recommend, I might have to check this one out. I would suggest it. It's on Hulu streaming. I would say watch it. Yeah, for absolutely. Sure. Definitely absolutely. watch it. And the last I think Hulu, this movie, Nico, oh, go Nico ahead,
2: I think this movie gets a rep. I think the movie gets a little bit of a rep for being scarier than it actually is. Because I think maybe a lot of people saw it in the theater when they were a little bit younger. Uh, and I think if you rewatch it, you'll just find yourself interested in the story. Because, you know, even Dustin, he's like, man, I kind of wish this was scarier, you know? <laughs> like, <Yeah>. uh <laughs> and, and So, and I understand what he's saying. Like, there, that is a legitimate criticism. If you don't like the court drama stuff as much as you would like to see some more of the horror elements. So, I think a, a rewatch, if you were really scared of this movie the first time you saw it, maybe a rewatch would help you. I mean, if Brian wasn't scared, then none of you guys should be scared.
1: Yeah. All right. The last comment we have is from Gail the Snail. Jennifer Carpenter with that contorted body and those eyes. Fuck my life. It scared the hell out of me the first time I watched it. When she's pulling her hair out of her head, whatever sound effect they use for that scene is gross and creepy AF. I don't think it's as, as scary as it used to be, probably because I've watched it too many times, but it's still definitely entertaining and an excellent example for a movie about possession. The whole cast is great. I agree 100% with you, Gail the Snail. All right, that's the uh, end of our social media comments and questions. Do y'all got any fun facts y'all want to share? Go ahead, Brian. I've got two. Um, so in real life,
3: Laura Lenny's TV turned itself on a few times in the middle of the night during the production. Also during the production, Jennifer would wake up to her radio inexplicably turning on in the middle of the night and playing Pearl Jam's song, Alive. More specifically, the lyrics, I'm still alive, would repeat over and over. See, you guys You guys fuck with demonic movies and this is the kind of shit you get. Uh, Last thing, Dr. Cartwright was supposed to have a heart attack, but the studio wanted his death to be more dramatic. I liked it. I liked the choice. Good choice. That's it.
2: Awesome. All right. Talking about the money? Okay. Um, Okay. This movie had a budget of $19 million and made a cool $145 million. That honestly shocked me. Like, I I really didn't think this movie made that much money. I guess this is a little more of a kind of a cult classic or like a horror classic than I realized. I think this is, it really did throw me off that it made that much money against that budget.
1: Yeah, That's Dustin's pocket change. All right. uh, (laughs) Fair. Fair. (laughs) All right. Let's jump into our favorite kill, least favorite kill, which I didn't pick any this week in the rating. Uh, Who wants Mm -hmm. to kick us off this week?
3: I'll go ahead and kick us off. Um, I don't have a favorite kill or at least favorite kill either, but, uh, you know, I, I really just wanted to say, you know, that I, I love, and I've said this before, but I love doing this show because I get to watch movies that, that otherwise that I, I would have never seen, you know, and end up some like trick or treat, for example, that, you know, I'll keep watching for the rest of my life. You know, like I said, this is definitely not one that I would have watched on my own. I had, you know, told you I had a completely different perspective on what i thought that this movie was going to be um nor am i going to watch it for the rest of my life like trick or treat but i am glad that i did watch it these these couple of times um it's one that that made me think from from different aspects um you know especially if you believe in such things it can it can definitely have a profound effect on you if you let it Um, it did me i gave this movie an 8.75 um really only deducting it for its rewatchability
1: I'll go next. Uh, like I said, no favorite kill, least favorite kill, none of that stuff. Uh, I'll just knock my nitpicks out first because I wrote those down. Uh, The demon faces, like me and Dustin kind of mentioned, not a big fan of that. And like Mike said, it just takes me out of the grounded and realism part. I just, It just didn't work for me. Uh, I'm being real petty here, but the shot with the father running out of the house, the angle they used, wasn't a big fan. It looks like he was holding his phone out, like recording himself. Could have did without that. And another thing that bothered me for no reason other than me being petty is Aaron finding the locket in the snow when we didn't see snow the rest of the movie. Don't know why, but that bothered the hell out of me. But anywho, the stuff I did like, acting was great. Uh, Acting was phenomenal, actually. Jennifer Carpenter was great. I I think she did a lot of all that contorting herself anyways. So big, big shout out to her. Uh, Movie holds up. It's a great exorcism style movie. Uh, I honestly, the first couple of times I watched the movie, I still get chills still whenever they say time served as the, you know, I'm, I'm happy the father kind of won the case. Uh, I, I like this movie, but like, like Brian, I'm not aching to rewatch this anytime soon. The rewatchability is definitely low. So, uh, I gave it an eight flat eight.
0: I'll go ahead and go. Um, so favorite kill for me was, uh, Emily's and Lee's favorite was Dr. Cartwright. I'm just kidding. I don't have any either. Um, as far as the movie though, I, I think that it's a really well done court drama. Like it feels like an ex a uh, it feels like an episode of Law and Order mixed with a little bit of supernatural. And I think the, the acting is great. The casting is really great. I think the uh, cinematography is really great. Um, I love the the choice as far as all the colors and the lighting and everything is just, it's fantastic. The use of the rain is effective when she's running. And when they're in the barn, the, the elements there, there's a lot of positives to it. It's just, for me, it, it left me wanting more, uh, as far as what they could have done, how good they could have made it. And for a movie that's two hours long, like, I, I don't think it needed to be two hours long at all. I literally felt like I was doing jury duty at times. Um, so, I think the movie is, is, is a very okay movie. The rewatchability is just in the gutter, though, so that, that takes the score down a lot. Um, and I think uh, it'll be another, what, 17 years, however long it's been since I've watched it. Probably that long before I watched it again. I gave it a five and a half.
2: Okay. Uh, I also didn't have any uh, favorite or least favorite kills, not that kind of movie. Um, look, I think the acting is an a plus. I love the story. I like how we intermingle the two plots, the courtroom and the uh, paranormal stuff. I think they work really well together, at least in this situation. Uh, But to me, what really just sets it over the top, something I've already said, is the mood, the atmosphere, the story, the acting, all that just kind of pairs so well together. And look, this movie is a little bit of a slow burn at times. Uh, it, it, It runs a little longer than I would care for. But overall... I, I, I'm I a fan. I'm a big fan. That's why I picked it. I've been dying to review it. I'm glad we finally got to. But I'm going to give this movie a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8.75. Sorry. I, man, I used to scare the shit out of people. I'd walk up to them and do that, and they didn't like that very much. But, uh, yeah, so <laughs> I get this movie at 8.75. Uh, you know, I, it, It's not super rewatchable. So, like Brian, that's kind of the reason I knocked it down. I, it probably would have about a 9 had it just been just a little more like more fun to watch. It's not a very fun movie to sit through, but it is a good
0: movie. So that gives our composite score a uh, 7.75, and the IMDb rating is a 6.7. So not, slightly not too above. far off. Yeah. Hey, now what do they know? It's all good. Any final thoughts before
1: I just shout out our blood donors, and I'll announce my pick for next week? Do it to it. All right. Uh, shout out to our blood donors. I really appreciate y'all. Our camper level reoccurring are Clayton J, Nina, Michelle Merza, Andrew Ferguson, Carrie Adams, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, Sean Irwin, Brian Samick, and Gail Koontz. Uh She's a new blood donor. Appreciate you. Camp counselor reoccurring are Hunter Nelson, Dennis Kennedy, Edwin Hernandez-Gunn, Joe Swinford, Jennifer Davis from the Too Close to Home Podcast, Heather Smith, Kylie Denise, all the way from Australia. Adrian Aiello, Jake Hambrick and Clay Moore. And we got a new legendary blood donor, Matt Strickland. And our final guy donor that we still have a film review to do for is Matt Sears. Really appreciate y'all. Um, y'all take a big burden off of us and it, I can't express how much we appreciate it. Uh, next week is my pick. I was torn between a few picks, but I settled on Pet Cemetery. Uh It's a movie that was very nostalgic for me. Honestly, I got to meet Miko Hughes earlier this year. So uh, I'm excited to review it. Uh, I think it's definitely an overdue movie to, to check out. Uh, any final thoughts, guys, before we get out of here? No, sir. All right. just want to thank all our fans and listeners one more time. Uh, we really appreciate y'all. And if we don't, we'll drop another episode for Christmas, won't we? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll save the Merry Christmas for next week. Y'all have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> just want to remind everybody.
0: <laughs>